As mentioned already, the sermon this afternoon is on the teaching of God's Word concerning the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Your Kingdom Come. And we have an exposition of this in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 48. This is on page 561 in the Book of Praise. And we'll read that together. Question and answer 123. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come. That is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil and every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing together in response to it, hymn 19, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ, I know that you have very recently, I think just a couple of months ago, you've gone through these petitions of the Lord's Prayer here in Emmanuel, and I actually went back and looked at uh, the archive on YouTube for how this was actually done. And so I noticed there that uh, Reverend Vince Bronson handled Lord's Days 47 through 49 altogether. And since I did just preach this one in my own congregation, all things considered, I thought it would be a blessing for us to go through this one altogether again. It is indeed a blessing to hear from the Word of God about the magnitude and the glory of the kingdom of heaven. I don't think we can ever hear about this enough. And so we do well before we get into the meat and meaning of this petition to reflect, as we no doubt often have done in the past, reflect on the nature of this prayer that Jesus Christ has given us, the, the prayer that Jesus himself has taught us. In this prayer, he's given us a template in which we're able to pray all of the things that are appropriate for prayer, the things that we need to pray for body and soul. And it's actually quite curious to notice the structure that he chose to give us in this prayer. Jesus has taught us to pray in such a way that all of the things which are appropriate and necessary for prayer, so things like adoring God, praising God, lifting up his name, um, confession of sin, humbling ourselves before him, things like uh, uh, giving him thanksgiving for all that he has done, and then, and then finally making a bunch of requests uh, making supplication before him, making, uh, offering him petitions. All of these things are included in this template that Jesus taught us. And he included all of those things in the form of requests, petitions. So even the thankfulness that we offer to God, because we know that 
that prayer is an act of thankfulness to God for his salvation. So even the thankfulness, the worship, the obedience that we ought to give to God, this is something that we request from him. We ask God to bring these things about in our lives. In teaching us to pray with this template, Jesus has taught us so incredibly clearly that we rely on God for everything, even the obedience that God requires of us. God does something in our lives, and we react to that. We react with, with love and, and faithfulness and, and obedience, and we want to give our lives as a sacrifice to him. That's our reaction to what he has done, but even our godly reaction is a gift from God that we need to ask for. What a teacher we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, here in this second petition, Jesus has taught us to ask that God would, would do in his kingdom what is in his perfect will and in his power, but we are especially asking that God would bring something about in us. Something that is in accord with the nature of his glorious kingdom. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Help us to live in your kingdom well. Help us to live in your kingdom well as you rule your kingdom. You might say that that's a summarized version of what we're asking God to bring about. Lord God, our Father, help us to live well, help us to live faithfully in your kingdom while you rule your kingdom in perfection. When we know what it means that God is the king and that he is ruling his kingdom, and when we can see that that, that fact has this tremendous effect on the world and in our lives, when we actually are conscious of those things, then we react to this with eagerness and with joy, with the joy of living in his kingdom. So, in order to be able to do that, in order to have that eagerness, that zeal, that fire for God's kingdom, we need to understand what's meant by his kingdom, don't we? Because if God's kingdom is, is just something out there, if his kingdom is something ethereal, mystical, something that never really touches down here in our lives, then why would it be on our hearts and on our minds during the daily stuff of life? Why would we need to pray with urgency, let your kingdom come, Lord God, Father in heaven? So this is a good place for us to start with an understanding of what the kingdom of God is. What is it? Is, is it? is it out there or is it here? Is it just an idea? Is it something that, that we can't see, but, but it's something that we just believe in? Is it something that maybe doesn't exist yet, but will exist in the future? What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, let's start at the very beginning. We believe that, that God created this world. This is his world. As the creator and the sustainer of this world, God has always been the king of all creation. And in the beginning, in the very beginning, before the fall, his kingdom 
was just as it should be. In God's kingdom, there was perfect harmony between the creator, the king, and his creatures. There was perfect loyalty to God's authority. There was no disobedience to his laws. There was no crime. There was only perfect justice and righteousness and holiness in his kingdom. No injustice anywhere. That was how God created this world, and what a beautiful kingdom it was. And of course, if creation stayed like that, then we wouldn't have the necessity to pray this thing that we're praying today, that God's kingdom would come. But we know that something happened, right? Something happened such that God doesn't rule his kingdom now in precisely the same way that he did at the very beginning. Something has changed. The kingdom isn't perfect anymore, even though God is still God, and he is still and has always been the king of his creation. He has never abdicated his rule in the least. So what's going on here? What happened? What, what authority is present in this world? Well, I'm sure even the, the children here can see what I'm getting at. Something happened that broke the perfection of the kingdom of God. Our parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. And in doing so, they interrupted that perfect life, that perfect harmony, that perfect loyalty between the, the creatures and their perfect king. Really, they committed treason against the king of the kingdom. That's one way to think about the fall into sin. It was an act of treason. They rejected his authority, his rule, and they began to serve and obey a different ruler. And that ruler is Satan himself, the prince of darkness. This is the effect of the fall into sin. Even though he still has all authority and power, he gave human beings what they asked for. They wanted a king who was not him, and they got it. And so because of their sin, this relationship with God was broken, and instead of remaining in good and loyal subjection to him as the king, they became subjects of Satan's dominion. A new kingdom of evil was allowed to exist on earth and to have dominion over it. Still under the umbrella of God's rule, But the evil kingdom of Satan was allowed to, to thrive and flourish in this world. And this is something that Jesus acknowledges. He acknowledges in his ministry the, the fact that Satan was given some authority to have here on earth. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem as king, he arrives as the Messiah of God, the returning king. He says this, this is in John 12. Verses 27 through, through 31, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Now listen to this. 
Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Something is changing. Something is changing when Jesus arrives. When the Son of God enters the world, incarnate as a man, he comes as the king who is reestablishing the kingdom of God. After thousands of years of the dominion of Satan, the king is returning. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be thrown out. This is the great message that Jesus brought at the beginning of his ministry. This is what we read in Matthew and in Isaiah. Matthew quotes that, that prophecy of Isaiah, speaking about this divine king who is going to come and do this. The people living in darkness, right? The people who had been living for all this time, generations living under the rule of Satan, under his thumb. They have finally seen a great light. This is good news, man. Because the kingdom of Satan is finally going to be overthrown. Satan is going to be kicked off his throne on earth. And the divine king is taking his place. And he's going to start ruling. His kingdom is going to start being reestablished on earth. For to us a child is born. It's happening. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, not Satan's. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, not Prince of Darkness, but the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. These are the things the world needs from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What an awesome message of hope. This is the message that Jesus brings. The time has come. It's here. No more will Satan have dominion in this world. The divine king has arrived, and he arrived born as a baby. And here he has begun his work. And we read there, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The world has been serving the prince of darkness, living according to evil, following him. But now, finally, the true king has returned. So repent. Repent is one of those words that has this really vivid meaning. Repent literally means to turn 180. First you're going this way. To repent means to completely turn the other way and start going in the other direction. Turn away from the prince of darkness. Turn away from living in sin and now turn to Jesus Christ, the true king, and be loyal to him. He's the true king of this world and his rule is at hand. 
we can see that change in the winds, this shift in power in all that he came to do. He shows his authority over the prince of darkness. He shows this by casting out demons, by ordering demons to do his will. He demonstrates how beautiful life in his kingdom really is. He, he, he brings healing in his kingdom. He proclaims justice and righteousness and compassion and said that these things have come. In Luke 4, he also quotes Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom from the oppressed, to give sight to the blind, to release those who are in chains. That's what it means to live with Jesus Christ as King. Every wrong is made right. And it's an honor and a joy to serve so great and lovely a King as Jesus Christ. And what a way he did it. What a way he took that authority that was his. And what a way he won his subjects back for himself. He made atonement for the sins of the world by giving his life, by letting his very blood be shed so that we, his subjects, could be pardoned pardoned for our sin so that we could be pardoned for our treason, the treason that we committed against the king. Because that's what our sin is. Our sin is treason against the king of the world. He did this so that we wouldn't have to be tried and executed as traitors, but that we could be given a full and gracious pardon and we could be given a good standing as honorable citizens in the glorious kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what he is still bringing about today. We ask, preserve and increase your church. That is what Jesus is doing. He is gathering and protecting and preserving the citizens of his kingdom. And he's transforming us, making us suitable for a life in that kingdom, in that world. He's taking us who were his enemies and making good citizens out of us. What a wonderful and glorious story of power and justice and might and compassion. What a king he is and how good it is to be one of his beloved subjects. That's what's meant by the coming of his kingdom. When Jesus came into the world, yes, his kingdom arrived his kingdom arrived, but it wasn't done arriving. It's still on its way to fulfillment. The world was in subjection to sin and darkness, and Jesus came to throw Satan out, throw him off that throne, and begin to restore things to glory and let the, the light shine once again. The Son of God, perfectly loyal and faithful Son of God the Father. This was his mission. This is his mission, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15. We read there, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ 
shall all be made alive, but each in its own order, Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then we have this, this view of, of what Jesus is doing with his kingdom. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. So Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the king. But as a faithful and loyal son to God the Father, he's going to take that kingdom and hand it back to his father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So at a certain point in history, real history, every last enemy of Jesus Christ is going to be rooted out and defeated and banished. And when every last citizen of the kingdom is gathered into it and pardoned, forgiven, and renewed with his spirit, then he hands the kingdom back to his father. And there begins this era of perfection and glory. Heavenly things, things that we can't even imagine. They're so splendid. Eternal life in that kingdom in which heaven and earth are joined together in perfect harmony. God the King lives with his people and he will be our God and he will be with us in fullness. I want to live in that kingdom. And it's a blessing to know that we actually today do live in that kingdom, not in its fullness. But today we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We have arrived. And the life of the church is to be a display for the world about the truth and the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. When the world sees the church, they should say, wow, that is the kingdom of heaven. It's exciting. It's happening. This is what we participate in as the church, as the people of God. We don't have two feet nailed down into this world, but we partake in the divine. Our lives are transcendent. They're above all the nonsense of this world. And yes, part of that renewal is its forgiveness, its compassion. But the other side of that is the justice of God. And it's not something that a lot of people like to think about or talk about. And when people who don't know the character of God speak about the harshness of the punishment that God has ordained for sin, then there is such a lack of understanding about the, the justice and holiness of God and the glory of his majesty. This is one of the things that we pray for in this petition. Destroy the works of the devil. Destroy every power that raises itself against you. Destroy every conspiracy against your holy word. Destroy your enemies.
Some people think that God maybe shouldn't be so harsh. But that shows a lack of understanding about the seriousness of sin against God. People wouldn't hesitate to approve of swift punishment for political traitors, for people who actually commit treason against their government, treason against the crown. You know, you think of, of an assassin. If there's an assassin who would try to, to murder a, a good king, let's think about a, a good and righteous king for a moment. If someone tried to assassinate him, boy, the public would cry out for his head, right? Usually there is a swift execution for an attempted assassin of the crown, especially when it's a beloved good king or queen. People don't even blink at that. Yes, that is proper. How much more when we're talking about God? If we would want justice for, for someone who commits treason against a good earthly king, how much more is justice necessary and proper in God's divine kingdom? It ought to be a comfort to us that God's kingdom will prevail against every evil, against every enemy who, who wants to shatter the peace of God's kingdom. That's disgusting to us. We want to live in the peace and comfort of God's kingdom, and there are people who want to wreck it and destroy it. There are powers of evil. This is what we pray for when we pray, let your kingdom come. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against him, everything against his holy word. We have something similar in Lord's Day 19. This is the line of the Apostles' Creed where we confess that that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take us into heavenly joy and glory. We shouldn't shy away from speaking about this. This is a magnificent story of the prevailing of good over evil, and that's a glorious thing to celebrate. It's a matter of great urgency. There are only two ways to live on this earth, and, and I think we react to the evil of the world way too softly. We don't want to offend anybody. We sort of act like we have to conform to the way that the world handles differences. You know, nobody can say anything negative about people's choices. But the fact of the matter is, this is a matter of life and death, and it's urgent. This isn't personal preference. Jesus Christ is, in fact, the king of this world. And like any king, and so much more, because he is the divine king, because he is God, our loving God and Lord, he must be obeyed and honored. That's not up for choice. He is the king. To reject him is not just any treason, but it is divine treason. And if people are living as enemies of the crown, we ought to be very concerned. Our hearts should break for people who are living in opposition to the king. Our hearts should break when we think about what sort of judgment is awaiting. 
We ought to be eager and desperate to speak about how good our king is. Help them to see how beautiful Jesus Christ is and how wonderful it is to live in his world. He is the one who takes his enemies and makes friends out of them. That's what he did for us. We want to see more of that. For anyone who is around us, we want anybody that we are associated with to share in the joy that has been given to us. God is merciful. He forgives traitors who ask him for forgiveness. And he transforms them as he is transformed and is transforming you and me into loyal and joyful subjects of his kingdom. And we want to live in that fullness of it so badly. We want to see it so badly. The finished kingdom. In all of its glory. Unveiled. Finished. Gathered. And so this is our prayer. This is our prayer. That the kingdom of heaven would come. That it would be finished. We trust with all our hearts that God is bringing about the things that must take place. We pray that his enemies will be defeated and overthrown. But we also pray that God will bring it about now that our hearts would be turned toward him in loyalty and love. Rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. And in this way, preserve and increase your church. I want to finish this sermon by exhorting each one of you, every single one of you, to consider seriously the importance of the kingdom of God in your heart. What place does it have? What place does it have in your heart? This is the greatest story in existence. A lot of us get goosebumps when we encounter things that are magnificent and glorious, when we encounter amazing stories of the triumph of good over evil, even fictional stories, you know, things like The Lord of the Rings. What a, what a powerful story. Magnificent story. It transcends normal life. Or when we hear accounts of, of, of the great kingdoms and empires in the history of the world, true stories, we get goosebumps. Because it's larger than life. And it's powerful. The grandeur of the, of the noble themes that are in play. The weight of the things that are at stake. Our hearts get lifted up above the normal monotony of life. And, and, and for a second, even just as an audience member of some fictional thing, just for a second, we get to participate in something greater and grander. The triumph of good over evil. But this... This, the coming of the kingdom of heaven, is more weighty, is more famous, is more superb than any story, any other story that could ever be conceived. Nothing beats this. And every once in a while we get to see how this touches down in our lives. 
You know, when I I preached this sermon in Providence, uh, during that service we had we had the baptism of a little baby girl. And we could connect that dot. We could connect those dots. We were reminded about how monumental a day it was. Think of the little babies that have recently been baptized here in Emmanuel. What about, let's say, the last baby girl that was baptized here? On that day, you officially welcomed another citizen of the kingdom of heaven, another royal princess of heaven. On that day, you you prayed in so many words after her baptism that the kingdom would come in her life. You know, this is, this is from the prayer following baptism. May this little child, right, this daughter of God, may she live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ. May she valiantly fight against and overcome sin and the devil and his whole dominion. And may this little daughter of God, this, this princess of the kingdom of heaven, may she forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ. This is what we pray for our children. This is what we pray for, for all of us. May this rule in our lives. This should be prayed for for each of you with un paralleled urgency. Nothing is as important as this. This is your life and your duty and and mission as, as an official in the kingdom of heaven. How many days do we go through with just no consciousness of it? We don't even think about it. We make earthly stuff everything. Where is your heart? What is in your heart? Where is your allegiance? What is most important? What king do you serve? Does Jesus Christ have the highest place of honor in your hearts? Or are you on the throne in your hearts? Or is the throne of your heart filled with all kinds of junk? Are you concerned that people you know may on the day of the Lord be found guilty of treason against the crown. How urgent is it in your heart that this person that you care about learns who King Jesus Christ is and how wonderful life in his kingdom is? Are you conscious of the spiritual warfare that is happening all around you, and deep in your life. It's there. We're warned of this in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This is an urgent plea of the Apostle Paul that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because he is attacking you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not earthly stuff but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This battle is real. This is serious business. You have become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and the king has taught you how to live, how to fight alongside him while he is putting all of his enemies under his feet. How have you prioritized that? 
How deep and meaningful is this petition in your life? Your kingdom come, Lord God. King of all creation, take your place in our hearts as our king whom we love and serve. Lord God, Father in heaven, may we submit to you in all things and may you equip us to discharge our royal duties with eagerness and with thanksgiving. Amen.